Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to the Deer Study Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by JJ Ducart, Brian Clary, and special guest back in, Mr. Dan Kaufman, all the way from Ohio. Today we are talking about everything scrape, different scrape tactics, um, how to hunt them, different strategies, different scents, kind of everything scrapes and rut signs. So let's jump into it. Um, Dan, I know that you know, in Ohio, you guys are able to do some different things than we're able to do here. You know, here in Minnesota, we can't put out scents. Um, you know, so some differences there on, on what we can do with our mock scrapes and things like that. But I know you have had a lot of success and spend a lot of time with mock scrapes. Um, just kind of give me an overall picture of, you know, scrapes from your perspective. An overall picture. Um Obviously, scrapes are a, a big time sign that we use for chasing these big bucks. Um, obviously, we're talking during pre rut, during the rut. Um, really, all time, pretty much from even as early as the beginning of season, um, deer using these scrapes to communicate with each other, right? Um, and obviously, everything we do to try to harvest these deer, to try to learn more about them, to try to to um, get on them, is based around their movement, their activity, what they do, their weakness, which we know the rut is that big eight-year-old buck's weakness. So I try to use every bit of sign goes from a tree rub to a ground scrape, um, you know, Everything, anything to do with the rut. Um, I'll go as far as this year, it was kind of a new thing for me. Um, I had a big cedar tree out back. We know these deer love seed, rubbing cedar trees. Um, not sure why. I suppose it's because they're soft, maybe. Um, but they love rubbing pine, soft, soft wood, soft trees. Um, so I buried cedar trees in the ground, or cedar branches off of a tree that I needed to trim them off of. And within a week, I had deer fighting over them and, and rubbing on them. I mean, it, it was, I've had good success with that already. Um, you know, also this time of year, we're starting to use scrape lures. Um, basically, you know, finding scrape lines, finding areas where deer tend to want to use more scrapes um, and making our own scrapes with them, or even not even necessarily making our own scrapes with them, but finding that scrape that that mature buck is using and trying to use a little bit of an intimidation process of, you know, putting another buck's urine in there to, to irritate him and aggravate him and make him want to show up there more to try to find that buck and, and improve his dominance. How many, you know, in your spots that, that you're hunting, like how often do you make a mock scrape? Are you making a, a mock scrape, you know, in every spot that you're hunting and, is it, you know, where are those? So I, I want to know, for example, like in Ohio, I know you guys can bait, for example. So, you know, you're putting out feed, you're putting out apples. 
Will you make a mock scrape right there at that same site? Will you make it away from those apples? Does it depend? Like, just walk me through that that scenario. And when you're setting up for for your lo- hunting locations, how you include mock scrapes in that? So, uh, I guess I kind of look at scrapes as two kind of two different areas. Um, you have the scrape that potentially might stay active all year, not necessarily all year, but all season. Um, that's not necessarily what I call a breeding scrape, I guess. Um, and, you know, then you also have the scrape that I call a breeding scrape. That's a scrape that a doe comes in. She acknowledges it. She licks the branch. She lets them know that I'm going in heat in this area. Um, and then you have obviously what we call community scrapes. It's basically from the way I understand it is where every buck and does some of the does in that area will hit that scrape. And I think it's just a, it's just a communication scrape. I, I don't know exactly what they're saying to each other, but they're saying they're, they're talking to each other in some sort of fashion. They're communicating that community scrape. I typically won't mess with it. I'll leave it alone. Um, they're already using it. I don't need to antagonize them to use it more. And I fear that just me being around it, it could cause, could potentially cause pressure in that area and make some of them deer not want to use it. So a lot of times what I'll do is like we were talking earlier with that trail camera, a lot of times them community scrapes are in areas that don't see a lot of pressure. So you don't want to put more pressure in there. That's that camera that has the solar panel, the rechargeable battery, and it's going to last all season. And it goes on that community scrape and just stays there. Um, and what I see out of that is all them deer in that area seem to use that community scrape. Um, and deer that come in and out of there will also check it out. That's got a lot of scent in it from a lot of different deer. Um, and I don't think it's a dominant scrape. I think it's just a communication scrape. So then you have other scrapes that are typically going to be smaller. They're not used year round. They'll go dead for parts of the season. Then they'll liven back up. When I, I don't, I don't like to make necessarily make mock scrapes. Um, unless I see a tree that either a, I know in the past has been a scrape and it just hasn't been hit yet, or it just every once in a while that branch will stick out to me. And I'm like, wow, that looks like the perfect spot to put a scrape. Um, when I do that, it's typically going to be, you know, I'll pick a tree that has that single branch that comes out and, uh, that branch kind of stands off by itself. It, it almost says, come, come hit me, you know, and, um, I'll take a tree branch. I'll scrape the ground clear at the bottom. Don't, I don't make a big scrape. I don't make a huge scrape. I just make a, just clear it out a little bit and I'll dump a little, uh, scraper or buck urine in this in the actual scrape itself and then i'll usually either put a dripper of some sort or um one more white things called uh a a wick up above i try to put it and even sometimes i'll try to stand on the back of my side by side and put it high enough to where that scent carries out and the deer don't because that's something not something that's naturally supposed to be there that wick's not a normal thing to be there so i like to try to put it up high enough to where they're not really knocking off the tree or, or seeing it um, as, as much as the limb above it or limb below it and using that. Um, and then I'll watch that scrape. And what that scrape does to me, like I said, this isn't a community scrape. This is a rut scrape. Um, that's them bucks coming in and saying, 
no, this is my territory. I'm going to, no different than a dog hiking his leg on a hydrant. They're saying, no, this is my yard. And I'm, I'm the only one allowed playing in it right now. And, you know, I won't, if I get a buck that I'm hunting hit that, I won't leave it alone. I'll get in there and I try to keep it as scent free as possible. And I'll, I'll go in and dump another one in there. And I'll, cause that, I'm trying to irritate him. I'm trying to make him like, no, I, I, I'm, I don't want somebody else in my territory. And I will go there as many times as I have to to check it so I can find him and show him I am the dominant buck in this area and I'm going to be. And then even going into when you hit the main rut, um, what you what I tend to see is then what you'll notice is a doe will come in and hit that. And when that doe comes in and hits that, that's a good sign to pay attention to because to me that says there's a good possibility that not like I said I separate them community scrape a doe hits it doesn't really mean that much to me rut scrape that not every deer in them woods is using that often it's not a huge scrape it's not a scrape that's hit often when that doe hits that scrape that's a good sign that she is she's going to go in heat here soon and she's letting them bucks in that area come hit that scrape and they know it they smell her and they say okay then they'll start fighting around that scrape and around that area and they'll start hitting that scrape and when that's when them bucks quit hitting that scrape and them bucks disappear to me that means there's a good chance that doe's in heat now and that buck has proved his dominance in that area and he he's already going to be with her so you kind of got the phase of the early, they're all kind of hitting it, and that's a good time to hunt. And then you got the phase of she hits it, and then a lot of them are hitting it. That time, to me, is the time to start rattling in that area because that's when you're going to draw in that big boy that says, uh-uh, there's a doe getting ready. I'm definitely not going to entertain you being here right now. When that goes dry and the bucks quit hitting it and nothing's hitting it anymore, to me, from what I've – learned over the years of watching my cameras and, and hunting to me i think that means that that doe's gone in heat that buck's more than likely with her now and at that point i will use that to to try to understand what's going on and now i'm no longer hunting them bucks i'm not hunting a buck now i'm hunting that doe where that I, I immediately start thinking where's she gonna go well, she's going to go feed. She ain't going to move a lot because she don't want chased around and bumped all over the place. She's going to be feeding around that bedding area, pretty close to probably where that scrape is. And he's going to follow her wherever she goes. So if you can haunt her and you can kill her, you can kill him. And and that's how I look at an actual rut scrape. Um, you know, and, and even going back into other sign like the, the tree rubs and all that, you know, I believe that some of them rubs – our home territories where them bucks are rubbing the velvet off, cleaning their horns up. And other ones I feel are, are dominant rubs that showing that, you know, this is somebody else's territory, you know? So, I mean, that's mainly how I use them. Um, what I found is uh, with the cedar trees, I like putting them right in food plots, like to where they're sticking out like a sore thumb in the middle of that food plot and I take my chainsaw and I run up and down and knock all the the branches and everything off of them to where it's a good clean tree to rub. And I also make them to where the branches are hanging over to make a lick out of it. And what I'm finding, the does are actually licking them branches and stuff, um, even early season. And I put that there because 
I figure if it's there close to a feeding source, it's sticking out like a sore thumb, bucks are rubbing it. It's just one more thing to, um, to, to catch their interest, to come into that area and want to use that. Yeah. JJ, scrapes. Oh, yeah. Some comments on what Dan was saying there. So he's making different scrapes or, or categorizes them for different times of the year. Um, you know, we've been working with raw since they got the different scents for, you know, there's actually Deer Society raw package, which includes like more of the peak estrus stuff and the multiple buck and the wicks and a really good system that will basically get you through the whole rut, like a pretty big, um, pretty big system. But then there's also the early season stuff that's not included in that. And that's kind of a different tactic altogether. We did some tips and tactics earlier um, on that outside. So um, that should be dropping on social media too. But yeah, that's more of a, just more of a curiosity type scent early season, you know, just get those deer in there engaging with the, the scent a little bit. Then you start getting the actual real deer coming in, adding their scent and it just builds from there. Um, so yeah, make sure you're using kind of the right scent for the time of the year. You don't want to be going out there and dropping a bunch of peak estrus scent, you know, in September or, um, you know, getting a bunch of mature buck scent on the scrape too early. So just mm -hmm. kind of be cautious, use your mind a little bit. Yeah. We can't use them everywhere. I know, um, I've been using it multiple years in Wisconsin over there where I shot Beamer, Andre. So I know, um, yeah, I usually do like, I'll probably do it here, um, in early October and then maybe a mid October and kind of just go around, move cameras around, get them on all the scrapes, um, kind of shift that camera strategy, you know, depending on the time of the year, drop certain scents in those from the, from the raw, the raw collection, but basically just get those going. I think scrapes is probably our number one way to collect Intel throughout the year on our cameras. Um, water is also another huge one. Um, and then, Outside of that, there's so many different ways you can make scrapes, which we can get into however way you want to from, you know, like Dan was talking about field edges or out in the middle of a field versus the in timber, or um, maybe you got it on an old logging road, like a trail system, those type of scrapes. You got licking branches, you got natural vines out there that you see bucks or, or deer use. And then we got the, we've been using the Hodeg hemp rope system, which has been working out really well for, for, um, enticing deer and kind of getting them in front of your camera so just so many different ways to make scrapes um not sure where to go from here but if you want to break down one category we can just kind of dive into different. i know one of the things that you just reminded me of is the vines i don't pass a vine without cutting it off at about chin height uh, if i if i walk past a vine, are you well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd say about five foot. <laughs> it's, it's cut it off at about five foot. <laughs> but no, if I walk past a vine that, that's kind of hanging, I cut it off because <laughs> I've witnessed it myself. Even it's not even necessarily when I when I see these vines getting used, it's not even necessarily like a rut thing. It's just. For whatever reason, those vines, when they're hanging in a, like a logging road or an area that deer naturally go by, they lick it and put their scent on it every time. And it's it's does, it's little does, it's big does, it's bucks, it's little bucks, big bucks. They all hit it. And I, I think it's just an easy, convenient way to communicate. And and that goes back to the whole, where do you put a scrape? Where do you put any of this stuff? Um, I think... A lot of these scrapes and even like, you know, even tree rubs, what I, one thing I notice is 
they're almost already in convenient places. Like if you really truly look at a rub, you're like, did that deer come here just to rub that tree? Did that deer come here just to put that scrape down? If, if you really paid attention, I think you'd find out that it's real close to an already natural corridor trail, a pinch point, a field line next to a water source, next to a food source. They were already in that area. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't feel like it does you any good to go put that ground scrape somewhere that's not already a natural um, area that they're already using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and Brian, I want to let you talk here, but yeah, I, I am in agreement with that for the most part. I, I don't do a lot of, like, just go out putting a random scrape somewhere where there isn't already a scrape. I, I do do a lot of scrape enhancements. Um, so that might be taking a uh, an already established scrape, trimming some other branches around that spot, maybe enhancing it with a rope, something like that. Where I have seen, um, you know, other scrapes work and making them from scratches is like in the middle of a food plot, for example, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, whether that's a, a cedar tree or, or a cedar post or a, a, like a hodak licking stick, something like that. Um, where it's out in the open and there's there's no other real competition around there or no other scrape spots around there. Um, I am a big fan of that. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of using them in an open area, especially when you're hunting with a bow and you want to get them into a spot that's more killable. Like if, if you use a scrape stick or a cedar pole or a cedar tree and you get them to take to that and deer start communicating with that, like... If you're in the pre-rut or you're in that rut stage and a big buck comes out in that food plot, it could be two acres. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's there and they're using it as a communication hub. Like he's going to be there at some point. It's a decoy. He, yeah, he, he's going to be there. Um, so I, I think in that realm, it works really well. Um, you know, Brian, how are you using, you know, scrapes to your advantage over there on your property? <laughs> well, we have to approach it a lot differently being that we can't use any exterior synthetic sense in Minnesota. So we're looking at it as a visual aspect, the visual cue to get it set up as a scrape. Like Dan was saying, the corridors, heavy transition trails. I like to hang them over a really heavy, some trail systems that I know is getting pounded day in and day out. And that can be fawns, does, bucks. Everything's gonna be touching that, whether it's a hot egg rope or a natural vine, you gotta have that visual beacon that the deer are gonna see as they come up to it, they want to lick that branch. They want to lick that rope. They want to put their scent down that community, that community uh, communication to let the other deer in that area know, hey, I'm here right now. This is whether it's during the rut, early season. They're they're staking out their territory, but they're also using it as that commun- that that communication aspect of just saying, hey, to other does, you guys are welcome here. This is our bedding cell. Coming in and out of the bedding cell, this is a good area to, good safe area to be. I will always try to focus on, I, I use a lot of water holes. So I'll always have a scrape somewhere near water hole within reach of where I'm sitting in my stand. Um, but as far as like food plots, feathering edges, there's nothing better than it. Overhanging trees, you might have 60 of them down the edge of a field at, or down the edge of a food plot. Feather all of the, timber where deer can't reach those sticks except for that one that you want them to hit it's that visual beacon that they have to go to to lay their sun down and that's really the biggest key that i found to be successful 
in an area that you can't use urines or synthetic scents. How do you feel? So you you talk about you know here being a visual thing and not being able to use scents. Um, how do you feel, Dan, about peeing in a scrape? A human um, peeing in a scrape. <laughs> so over the years, I've seen that work. I, I have seen guys like my, a good friend of mine. He's one hundred percent on it, and and I've seen it work. Have I ever seen a six-year-old seven-year-old buck do it i can't say i have um do i do it yeah uh but i don't do it so if i have a property i'm hunting 190 inch deer on i ain't doing that <laughs> i don't trust it enough yet um i'm not saying there won't be a day that i don't but i haven't seen enough information on it to to see that it works now i have properties that have young deer on them and i'll try it just to see just to see how do they react to it and I've seen them react to it. Um, I just don't have a lot of information, and I haven't done it enough to know that I can trust it with a mature buck. Um, you know, obviously, if you think about it this way, like deer eat leaves. They eat natural foods. The foods that we eat, you know, make our urine smell way different than probably what it should smell like, what a natural deer is going to smell like. Um, now, I don't know... You know, like I said, if I believed it worked 100%, I wouldn't have a problem being on a tree stand. And I don't do that. So, I mean, it's kind of the same theory. Um, but, you know, going back to one of the things Brian said he made me think of, too, is uh, we always talk about thinking outside of the box. It's been a big thing lately. Um, you know, that's one thing, too. Like, when we talk about scrapes, when we talk about corridors, when we talk about anything – we always think about what we can use, what we can use to attract a deer, or what we can use to um, to hunt the deer to get him closer to us. But one thing we never talk about, and and I think that gets mistaken a lot, is there's things that you could neg how do I say it negatively do to possibly to cause a positive outcome, meaning you know as far as like say that deer. Say you have a couple ground scrapes. You don't want that deer moving over there for whatever reason. Maybe it's because, you know, it's right on the border of the neighbor's property and, and he's got a tree stand hanging over your line. Maybe it's because, you know, your stand's over here and you want to try to pull them this way. And I'm not saying it's, it's this is a guaranteed going to work every single time. But, you know, sometimes you have to think what I'm not doing is not working. What can I do to make it work? And, and it may be... To cut that limb out of that tree and throw it right down in the middle of that scrape so that scrape's not used anymore and and then go down a hundred feet where you want it to be used and do exactly what you said take your hedge trimmers and cut out an area and make a new scrape and and maybe you can get that deer to funnel that way it's no different than cutting trees down you know we always talk about pinch points and using pinch points but we never talk about making pinch points I mean, you could take snow fence and make a pinch point and, and they will use that pinch point. So, I mean, that's where I think we got to remember too, is like, not only can we use this to our advantage, but sometimes we can also get rid of them to our advantage as well. It, you know, it's an option, of, you know, when you start thinking about things that are outside the box. Yeah. 
JJ, what other experiences have you had with scrapes? I, I know that you've you've used a lot of the different hodag licking you know licking systems, the the hemp ropes, just natural scrapes. Like, what have you seen? Ones work better than the other. Are there ones that you prefer? I think it comes down to their tools um, that you can kind of every situation, every stand setup, or every hunting setup is different. So if you go to an area where there's already a perfect tree. I can think of some spots where there's young oak trees. Those are seem like they're always the best. They hold their leaves. They're just yeah. dirty, a lot of branches. Like they just seem to overhang a little bit. You know, maybe just kind of, maybe you trim that one up um, and just kind of leave it be and just use that natural scrape and enhance a little bit. Maybe you take some competition away and try to force them into one. Um, that works really well natural. And then there's also spots where there's like no licking branches anywhere. So maybe you want to go to a big, tree and uh use you know the licking branch the hodeg the spring system or there's other products out there too but you know actually make your own overhanging branch that can then become that beacon um or it could be like i know there's one stand we have all called the cherry tree stand down there by the corn where there's this giant tree that runs across it's a box elder so it runs about probably about eight feet off the ground horizontal that's the perfect spot to just drop a rope yep so in that spot we got a, a hemp rope that and it's just it's a you know a 15 foot wide area where all these deer kind of funnel through and it's almost like this rope's hanging in the center and it's like yeah it's like that beacon yeah it's like you can almost not walk through there without being like what the heck is this thing about to rub my face you know so all the deer just naturally go to that spot early when we hang them you know we clear out all the debris and make this big dirt um visual under that that rope and that kind of gets it going and once once scrapes are going it seems like they just fire up and last all season if they're in the right spot like that um don't have quite as much experience with kind of that tree koi if you will out in the middle of a field mm-hmm. i know this year at that one spot where we got a, a pine post pine pine wood uh, fence post in there and then we put the the branch off that i don't have a camera on it so i don't really know if the deer hitting i'm assuming they are Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be something we'll be fil- filming over this year. And that's um, something that, you know, adding to a big open landscape, like you said, to try to use as like a decoy, tree koi, to try to bring them into that spot, give you a little bit better shot. Um, that's similar to what Dan's doing where he's burying these cedar cedar limbs. And then there's also the uh, the licking stick which from Hodeg, which we used last year. And obviously the deer reacted well to it because it disappeared they ripped her out of the ground <laughs> so um obviously worked pretty well for some period of time mm-hmm. and then it was gone and i didn't want to go back in there and get my human scent on the ground so we just kind of let it ride at that point that's now where that pine post is permanently mm-hmm. stuck in the ground so i feel like you just kind of got to look at your situation see what you got work with what you got and if you have a tool and, and you got you know this spot might be really good for the hemp rope or a natural vine this spot might be great for dropping a branch or this one might be good for the tree koi scenario and just kind of use that to maximize that that hunting setup for for shooting for our case for filming or for intel and for your camera um yeah just use those tool, tools to try to best suit that and then, then in wisconsin obviously where we can use scents you know that just adds another element to it so mm-hmm. um the right time adding the right scent to that visual then you know game changer i'm also like even with like raw um one of the big things is too is the reason you know one of the reasons i've been a big fan of raw since i've known about it was the fact that um you know there's you do have to be careful with some of the um you, you know obviously 
any scent that isn't 100% natural, you want to be careful with because you don't know how the deer are going to react to it. And yeah, three and a half year old may be fine with it. Mm-hmm. A seven year old may be fine with it, but he might not too. And that's the one thing I, ha- I do like about raw is the fact that it's, you know, it's 100% natural, no synthetics. It's straight out of the deer. So I look at it like this. You know, as long as – obviously, if I take estrus and I put doestrus down in September, the deer are not going to be too fond of that. There, something's not right there, right? But, you know, using that doestrus during a rut or using the buck urine during a rut or even out, a little outside of the rut or um, you know, the calming stuff, it's all natural. It's right out of the deer. So in my mind of thinking, worst-case scenario, it don't work at all. Best case scenario it works, but it shouldn't hurt you. It should not hurt you. Even if the stuff's not, you know, they say, well, you got to keep it frozen, this and that. Well, it's no different dumping it on the ground. It's going to go bad, and it's going to have a smell to it when it goes bad, but so does deer urine. I mean, it's the same. It's naturally the same. Um, once it gets oxygen, it's going to start going bad. You start getting synthetics, then you do wonder about, when that oxygen hits it, does it make a more of a chemical smell or does it change the smell? You know, I don't know. Um, but on the other hand, I know I don't have to worry about that with roll. Let me ask you, so you talked about, you know, when you go in and, and you're adding, uh, you know, scents to a scrape, for example, and you use the, the scrape lure early, you then you'll go in there and you'll put that, put that buck urine in there. When do you know, like, it's time to switch? Like, when do you start using doestrus versus when you would use that, that buck urine? So, to me, it's more of a time frame. Um, you know, obviously, they say does go in estrus according to the light. Um, and every doe goes in estrus, they say, about the same time every year. But we all know, if you find it long enough, that time's usually that last week of October through, you know, all the way through December. Um, I look at it like, if I think does are going in estrus, I'm using it. Um, and I'm... I'm pretty liberal with it too. You know, I'm not very, you know, I, I use it. Like I uh, use plenty of scent and, um, you know, I like to make it stronger around my stand where I'm hunting and, and maybe even make, you know, all cross, you know, if I'm hunting at the end of a ridge that's running east and west and I know the wind's blowing out of the south and going north, I'll run that ridge and run it you know, like put different wicks out all the way to my stand. And I try to use the wind to blow that where I want it to blow. So then if there's another buck across the way on a different ridge, you know, scent checking them ridges, he'll smell it and come over there and want to know what's going on. Right on. So, you know, we've talked about different types of scrapes and, and different ways to use scent. I want to get into some hunting strategies on on how to hunt those scrapes. But one question I have beforehand, it's kind of a, a topic that I've seen some people who are super, super anal about it and other people not so much. Scrape height. So like, you know, if you're uh, manipulating a scrape or, or, you know, just in your experience, what is, is there a, a specific height, you know, for a branch that, that deer like to use to, to scrape or use as a licking, licking branch? I don't feel that way. Um, I feel that it's probably anywhere from, you know, I, I feel like I've seen scrapes on branches that were three foot high and scrapes on branches that were six foot high. Um, I got video last year of a very mature buck, big buck, standing up on his hind legs and licking a branch and putting a scrape down. 
So, I mean, that buck had to stand up to get to that limb. So that goes to show you that, you know, that's got to be a six foot branch, I'd, I'd assume at least. Um, so I don't know. I don't think, I think, you know, anywhere, you know, that I look at if I can reach up and get it, you know, if I can. How tall are you? Yeah, I'm five foot eight. So pretty much anybody can touch it. <laughs> but um, you know, I don't, I wouldn't do anything crazy like you know six anything over six foot probably, and I probably wouldn't do anything below you know two or three feet. You know, um, I I try to stay probably in that four to six foot range from a branch. Um, yeah. JJ, buying anything to add to scrape height? Yeah, actually, I was watching some trail cam video last night, waiting for Dan, uh, eleven hour flight delay. Side note, um, <laughs> and it was, so I, I hung uh, that situation I was talking about with the horizontal box elder tree, dropped the rope, the hemp rope. Um, I thought it was a perfect height. So the loggers ripped it down, they were driving under it and they accidentally ripped it down. So I had to reset it this year. Um, and it was half of the rope that it used to be. So it's now a quarter of a rope. But I kind of guessed on height the other, you know, a few weeks back when I said it. Um, now I have some data of bucks walking up to it, fawns, does. And it's kind of interesting because deer are, you always think like, oh, a four-year-old, he's, you know, this big, a three-year-old's this big, two-year-old's this big. You got on this specific spot, the four-year-old could barely reach the, the hemp rope and his nose is kind of hitting it. And he's trying to lay scent, but you know he wants to get those that scent from his forehead and into that area and he just can't quite reach it. So all he's doing is licking it. With his nose, he didn't jump up and get too excited. Um, then a three-year-old came, a big three-year-old, and he actually got to the point where that rope was able to, you know, touch his forehead and his eyes and get more scent on it. So I need to adjust that one. That one's obviously too high. It's probably five feet. I'm just guessing. I don't know how high it is. I should go measure it. That'd be interesting. Drop it down a foot. So now all the deer, whether they're two, four, five, whatever, can get all their scent glands on it without having mm -hmm. to jump and do crazy stuff so just make it easy for him i'm thinking it's got to be that four to four and a half foot range i know i also set that another uh, licking branch um so with the hodeg systems you can spin the spring to kind of like if it's a curved branch you can raise it a little bit lower it a little bit with a curved curved limb um and i sat there for probably five minutes when i was setting it up trying to figure out like how high is a deer because it's like mm -hmm. we're standing upright <clears throat> yeah. you're obviously not so you, i feel like you always think the deer are a lot taller than they are and i played around with it for a while. And then I, when I, you know, started getting the cell camera pictures, it's like, you know, some of the deer still aren't able to touch this fully. Um, some tall deer, they're getting way up in there. It's, you know, they're getting their neck and their whole head and everything into the, into the licking branch. So it's, I should, we should actually do some measuring. I think yeah. that'd be interesting yeah. to see like what the actual height is um, based on the data that we have on those two spots and maybe try to see like what, what's that ideal height and then maybe measured on a chest or something but it's got to be that four so that's half a, feet four to something. five feet is probably I'd yeah, yeah. I've, probably because you don't have to have them i've seen deer like go up to a scrape it's too high you know they kind of put their nose up a little bit and they're not interested because it's just out of reach and then they kind of fade off mm -hmm. so it's a missed opportunity to yeah. have that scent and that to have the scent on yeah. there yes yeah. yeah and i've got a couple of cedar poles that are buried out on my property in the middle of food plots and i've noticed that over the last couple of years now i've got them dialed into probably the right height because every deer whether it's a fawn doe mature buck young buck i mean when i originally started doing this i had yearlings that were jumping at these branches that were six feet high they couldn't reach them um but as i've lowered it i would say it's probably right around four four and a half feet 
now that every deer goes in there and I mean, I've got a camera two feet away from it on that same pole that the branch is coming out of and you can definitely see their attitude and their behavior change when they have an easier access to it. They feel more comfortable just sitting there rubbing their antlers in it and they'll take their time with the scrape a lot longer. They'll sit around that scrape a lot longer than if they have to put more effort standing up or jumping at the branch to bring it down. JJ, on the other hand, he hunts bucks. You watch it on YouTube, Andre the Giant. But that buck was probably hitting branches that were eight feet in the air because yeah, the deer was so tall. <laughs> yeah, that deer was so <laughs> tall that yeah. he uh, he was hitting branches two, three limbs above all the other bucks. Yep. Well, let's talk about you know hunting scrapes and what that strategy looks like. And I I feel like you know this time of year, well, pre rot rot. It's, it's a great time, obviously, to hunt scrapes, and it's exciting because you can, like, I can remember as a kid growing up, you know, we, we just had permission on properties, and, like, we weren't running trail cameras, and, like, you'd go in there, and you, you might have a climber on your back, right, and you're, you're going in, and it's exciting because it's rotten, and you're like, okay, where do I haunt? Mm-hmm. And you're walking through, and you, you see a fresh scrape. And like, that's so awesome because it's like, okay, boom, here's where I'm going to hunt. And, you know, hunting scrapes that time of year can be really effective because like chances are bucks are going to hit it. Like if you're, if you're trying to figure out where to hunt, like, you know, hunt those scrapes. But Dan, what is your mindset going in and hunting and finding these scrapes? Like, you know, yardage wise, are you hunting downwind of them? Are you like, just talk to me about that, that strategy of hunting scrapes. So when I, when I'm hunting a scrape or when I'm when I when I see a scrape, um, obviously, usually it's something I want data off of before I hunt it. Um, I'm gonna get a camera on it and see what's hitting it. Sometimes, like I said, you might find out that it's just a bunch of little bucks hitting it. Big bucks aren't paying any attention to it. Um, Do you think you can tell that from from the scrape, <laughs> like just looking at it without camera intel? I mean, sometimes, yeah, I would say that. Um, more often than not, if it's a smaller scrape, it's going to be a smaller buck. Bigger scrape on the ground, you know, taller branch, it's going to be a bigger buck. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily one of those things that's always and always or never and ever. Um, I, I really truly believe that that's one of those things where trail cameras are extremely important and you need now data on it. Um, that's something that if I see a new scrape pop up, I want to get a camera on it quick. And I, I don't mind that that's when it's time to start throwing buck lures and you know scrape lure and 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 getting that um getting those bucks around there irritated and 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 i think sometimes what you might find is that scrape may be even hit by a lot of smaller young bucks until it's time i believe that you know these young bucks two three years old they really are just trying to learn what's going on they know breeding season's coming. They know does are going to go in a rut. They may get a chance of breeding one or two of them. But they also know these big bucks are going to be in there too. I believe that, you know, seven-year-old Johnny knows that five-year-old Susie comes in heat on this date. So when he comes through there and he sees that scrape, you know, I believe that that seven-year-old buck might even know that I'm not – tampering with that right now because i got this property over here where this doe is going to go and he's been doing it long enough he knows when these does are going in heat and i also believe that's why you see and i and i've actually had this happen before 
to where I had a doe that was running around like she was in heat. I was hunting 170 inch deer in that area. And it, that buck was nowhere to be found. And all these bucks that are three, four years old are just chasing this doe around like crazy, leaving scrapes all over the place. And for four or five days, this buck is nowhere to be found. And this goes back to what we were talking about when that scrape goes dry. All these bucks are fighting. He's nowhere to be found. I'm starting to think, is he even a dominant buck in this area? Like, he's the biggest buck. He seems like the oldest buck, but is he? Like, where's he at? And then all of a sudden, boom, they disappear. When they disappeared, like, I, I quit getting pictures of any bucks in that area. Like, any does, bucks, or anything in that area. And then next thing you know, a day and a half later, I get a picture of the doe and the big buck, the big boy I was hunting, and they're by themselves. So to me, I look at it like he didn't even really – I almost feel like he already proved his dominance in that area. Them bucks already knew he was the dominant buck. He's over – two properties over breeding another doe right now. He's run all them bucks off. That's why they're over here because – He's run three bucks off that property, and then there was already two or three on this property, and they're over here messing around. They're hoping maybe he gets hung up or caught or killed or whatever, and they can breed her. But then one night he comes strolling in and said, all right, boys, get out. You know, and they scramble. They're gone off that property. Now you're not getting any activity. Well, that's because she's in heat, and he's bedding up with her. And that's the hardest time to hunt a buck, but I, that's where I believe that, you know, you may not see a lot of act. You may only see one picture of him in that scrape. Like, and that's it. Because, like I said, he's already proven his dominance in there. He don't need to. And I believe early season when you get them scrapes, I do believe them scrapes are maybe more for showing dominance. But then when you get the second week of November, that scrape's kind of already been there. And, yes, them bucks are going to hit it. And a lot of times I think scrapes are nocturnal, to be honest with you. I, I have not got a little, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have video of seven and eight-year-old bucks hitting scrapes in the broad daylight, but it's not very often. And I feel that, like, he may only hit that scrape. You may see him hit that scrape. You know, to give an example, that, that seven-year-old buck, maybe he's he hits six properties on this, you know, that cover a thousand acres, right? And he's on this property, and he wants to go to this property. When he comes through this week, he might hit that scrape for a couple of minutes, and he moves on. You don't see him for another two weeks because he hits this property. And then he goes over to this property. And then when he does come back, maybe you'll get a picture of him over that scrape. Maybe you won't. Maybe he'll hit it. Maybe you won't. But all them other little bucks, when they start hitting it, that tells you, like, something's going on in that area. Like, I just got a lot of bucks on that one scrape at one time. Something's going on in that area. And I believe that's the time to get in there and start hunting that big boy. And he may not show up for two or three days. He may be gone. But you want to be there. I feel that the most, the best time to be there during the rut for that big boy is the time that it takes him, her to go in heat, and him to find her. That's that's it right there. And that's when you get him cruising through there in the middle of the day trying to look for her. And... You know, she may be over here bedded or over here bedded, or, and he's just got to find her. Once he find her, finds her, excuse me, once he finds her, he's locked on her. And now you're hunting her, and that gets harder because if she don't move as much, now you're hunting food sources. That time that it takes him to know, all right, Susie's getting close, 
go over to that property and find her and then chase off a bunch of other little bucks. That's your best time to kill them, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's that time, like I said, when you see all them immature bucks start hitting that scrape and they're tossing around, wrestling each other and, and fighting each other, that that it's time to get in there. Get in there and hunt it the next two or three days. And I think that's your best opportunity to kill that big boy. And then once you're in there and all them bucks disperse and you quit seeing them big bucks, there's a good chance he's in there. And he's either A, looking for her, or B, he's locked up on her. But regardless of how you look at it, that's the time when it's dead, that there's no bucks in there. And I've always said it seems like when you're hunting a seven-year-old buck, you're either going to see nothing or him. <laughs> and it seems like it's just dead. And I think it's because he's come in there and them other bucks are like, I don't want a piece of him. I'm going to move on, go chase another doe. I know he's not on. And he does his breeding. Um, True. But I think your best opportunity is when he comes back looking for her. Yeah. JJ, what do you got when it comes to stand set up, you know, hunting over scrapes? <laughs> scrapes. It's a loaded mm. question. A lot of setups for scrapes. Um, while Dan was talking, I was just thinking, have I ever shot a buck? I've only shot one buck actually over, and it wasn't even on the scrape. It was a, it was on a scrape line. So going from scrape to scrape to scrape, that was, if you look at look up on called Perfect Storm, that was a breakdown where we set up where, you know, big rain front, high pressure, all this stuff came through. We got in the stand right after, the, you know, the deer are going to move. So we're ready for that. Or set up between two big bedding areas and there was a main we'll call it a logging road really it was just a trail system that you know the landowners were using but on that trail system it wasn't maintained well so basically every 10-15 feet there's this branch overhanging and the bucks were just hitting branch by branch you know scrape after scrape so it just tore up um so just that situation where you got the deer up on their feet naturally if he's going to go from one big bedding source to the to the next um, there's all these scrapes in his way and he's going to hit them and slow them down. And, you know, it was late October. I can't remember what date it was. Um, but that's really the only time I ever shot a deer using like scrapes specifically hit two, shook off, shook all the rain off. He was about to hit a third and then I shot him. But yeah. Most of the time it just seems like it's just that, um, it's just kind of a sweetener, you know, it's an area where you get mm -hmm. some of the best trail camera video of the year, some of the best footage if you're filming, um, typically not. Yeah, I just haven't shot a lot of deer like on the scrape. Maybe that'll change soon. You know, we're changing our setups, mm -hmm. adding more scrapes in front of us with the tree coy um, type setups, hep ropes. You know, we have a lot of setups where it's just 20 yards away, um, upwind of the stand setup. Perfect to just sit there if you're self filming and not have to move the camera much. It's just already, you're already pointing that direction. That's the setup I like instead of having them all around you and you get all twisted up in the tree with the arm and in the bow and whatnot, but um, yeah, I only shot one buck, I would say, using a scrape, but it's one of the most powerful tools out there. And it's, I like that late October time period because then they do dry up in November. You see all the leaves kind of pile on there. They're not as active. Um, that's typically what I see, but yeah, those in, field, those in woods, logging roads are in certain areas, golf cart trails, four-wheeler trails, whatever you want to call them. Like those seem to have just tons of scrapes that you can take advantage of throughout the year. Yeah, the proximity from where we hunt to the where the scrape setups are, typically I like to keep them outside of even shooting range where you know the deer funneling in off whether it's a bench or a bedding cell. And I use utilize a lot of them, like I said, around water and food. If they're coming into that food, they'll 
graze for a bit, then as they're moving through that food source, having on one end of it or in the other, that funnel system where the deer naturally are traveling through, they'll hit that scrape on their way to it. And that's when, like JJ was saying, you get the great footage, <clears throat> but you know what that deer is going to do after it hits the scrape. It's feeling comfortable. It just laid down its scent. It's going to go walk back into wherever it's going and feel comfortable along the way. So that's one big u- utility on where the proximity for the scrape to stand has been for at least my hunting strategy over the years. Yeah, I'll say this. If you're going to do that, I would say make sure that that you have a pretty known funnel or trail that they're going to enter or exit out sure. of there. Sure. And and then that works for me. I, I like being able to shoot that scrape because I feel like if a big buck's going to come, mm-hmm. he's going to hit it. He's going to hit it. Like it, it's he's not going to play this game. And and like I want to be able to 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 kill him when he's there. I'm a, I'm a big believer in like if you're going to go in there and you're going to hunt, like you better put yourself in the right situation, like and make it count when it when you have the opportunity. And that's the one area he's going to come in, and he's not really paying much attention to the wind. Right. You mm-hmm. can hunt. You can hunt a uh, penetrated area without worrying about the wind. Well, and the nice thing about uh, shooting a deer over a scrape is like if you're bull hunting, you you have a, a good ability, like they're distracted. You know, they're moving their head around a lot. Their heads might be in the branches or, you know, down scraping in the dirt. Like it gives you a good opportunity to, to draw your bow back and, and be settled and, you know, not rush it when the deer's typically on edge. Mm-hmm. One thing I was thinking about here, and, and I've seen this, a few times here over the last five years is you are only seeing, and you have to keep this in mind, you're only seeing a fraction of the scrapes that are in the woods typically. Like, you know, and especially if you're you're being cautious and you're hunting the edges, you can see them on the four-wheeler trails, you can see them on field edges. But so many times, like, I hear guys say, well, that's his scrape. Okay, that might be a scrape that that big deer is hitting and he frequents and he owns that scrape. But what you have to remember is, there is a potentially a line of scrapes or or another whole community of scrapes that you are not seeing. So like perfect example of this. I saw it last year when I shot my deer, but like the 8010, if you ever watched that that hunt breakdown, was a great example. So there was a little opening in the timber there. And this deer, this is like he ruled this area during the rut three years in a row. Like he didn't live on this this property all year. But like when he had a doe, that's where he was. And like he knew there was a doe that was gonna come in there. Three years in a row, he did it for like five days. And that that second year, I filmed him breed his doe, didn't kill him. Third year, went in there, was able to kill him. But there was a little opening, and he had a big scrape there. And I'm like, that's that's the scrape I'm going to kill that deer over. And he came in there, and he didn't actually hit that scrape and, and kind of circled, and I shot him. And he ran up to, to kind of some thicker stuff. And when I went in there to recover that deer... I was shocked and it was like a, a light bulb went off because it was like I got up in this thick, nasty kind of bedding area, boom, fresh scrape, a little bit further, boom, fresh scrape, and then there he was laying. But like mm-hmm. it, it it makes you think like, you know, you talk about maybe, you know, you're just getting a, a picture of that deer at night and he hits that scrape. Like I can picture that deer standing up there where in complete cover. Like, and boom, he can hit that scrape. He can hit that scrape. He can see the whole valley below him. He's got that cover. So, you know, those are a little bit more difficult places to hunt. And like right now you shouldn't be going in there and trying to find those areas. But like, if you do understand that from previous years or, you know, there's, there's a situation where you can get in and access some of those, man, some of those more secluded areas, 
can be deadly, you know, if you can access them, you know, without without being detected. That's another thing to be cognizant about, though, is if you are putting out mock scrapes, make sure your access is still bulletproofed up all the different stands that you're hunting on that property. You can put up a mock scrape and might be in the wrong spot where you're going to get cut off halfway to your walk going to the stand you were going to hunt that evening or that morning. Yeah, and I was—I know Dan's got something. I'm going to say something related to what Brian said just a minute ago. I feel like one of the most deadly spots for getting big bucks on their feet during daylight, which is also hunt breakdown that you filmed, was it the year after 8010? Allison's buck started yep. stars line. So yeah. standing yep. cornfields next to timber, mm-hmm. especially if you can mow like one trail around that cornfield, there's so many overhanging trees and branches, so much cover yeah. that it's just like, it's a period. It's unbelievable yeah. Yeah. how many deer will walk through there and scrape in daylight hours if they're eating that corn, they're bedded close. Like it's just it feels safe. Unbelievable. You there. can get in, you can yeah. hunt them, you can typically blow the wind out over the the field if you get high enough. Um, it's just that's killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Getting excited. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things that just kind of clicked in my mind when we were talking about them here is uh one is and I'll talk about it here in a few minutes is what you were saying about paying attention to, you know, when you're shed hunting and, and where them scrapes were for previous years. Um, but the first thing is, is we were talking about the scrapes and we were talking about how often a buck hits them and how he uses them. And, uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier today too, is understanding the whys and understanding the whys, I think, will it teaches us when they're going to hit it. And and with that being said is we talk about that buck um, frequently and it rains. You were talking about when it rains. When it rains is the perfect time. You get up in the morning and it quits raining a half an hour after daylight. That is one of the best times to be over a scrape. But when is the question? What time of year? I believe that early season, early October, um, going into even the last week, October, is the best time to be hunting that scrape after a rain. And here's why. If we consider the whys of why them deer are hitting them. Well, if you look at the rut and it's different phases, early season, you're going to have a few does that come in heat, but it's less, right? So you look at that buck, he is bedded up. Maybe he's with a doe, maybe he's not. But there's a better chance, you have a better chance of him not being with a doe constantly in October than the second week in November, right? So I believe in October when it rains and that mature buck is not on a doe, what he does in the morning is he gets up and he, not only does he scent check all them ridges and he's looking for that doe in heat, but he's cleaning out them scrapes as he goes. And that's when you catch him in that morning. I, I I love mornings after it rains. In that morning, cleaning them scrapes out. Now, we get into the second week in November and it rains, and you're hunting that same scrape thinking, he's going to clean that scrape out. He's going to, well, when he doesn't, then you think, well, man, what? where was I wrong? You know, two days I hunted the scrape, he didn't clean it out. Well, like we were talking earlier, we're getting to the part of the season where there's a lot more does in heat, and he knows when them does are coming in heat. He may not touch that scrape for a couple of weeks now because he knows he's on a doe locked into her. Early October, late October, you know, early rut season, he's got that time to check all them scrapes and hit them and, and go through and check them all. And, and even to the point where he's proven dominance, you know, when other bucks are in that area. But I think once you start getting into that hardcore rut and them does are going on lockdown, that's when we 
talk about it. That's when it's the hardest to hunt them because they're on lockdown. Where early season, they're not on lockdown. They're they're wanting to get on lockdown and they're trying hard to get on lockdown. And that's how you catch them that pre rut. And that, and that's why I think early season is the best time. Early rut, that late mid October to even maybe the middle of the first week of November, that's a great time to hit them scrapes and hunt them. I think once you get into that breeding season, it's you're better off to try to pay attention to not so much is it rain and is that scrape going to be cleaned out, but is are there a bunch of other bucks hitting that scrape? Because like I said, he's occupied right now. He's breeding another doe, and I'm not saying you can't catch him on it. Like I said earlier. During the rut, I kind of start going with everything goes. If I don't have a better place to hide him, yeah, I'm hunting regardless because it's the rut. Anything could happen, and we know that. But I may hunt him in a better place. I may not be so focused on that scrape. I may have a property, two properties ever that I think that he could be on. You know, a lot of my properties, some of them are close, and, and I have bucks that run two or three different properties. So I guess that's the big thing is understanding the whys, how it works, and then understanding why that scrape in October is a better opportunity of catching him cleaning it out in the morning than the second week in November. Does, I mean, does that make sense sure. to you? So, yeah. And that's the one thing I think that going back to you know what we were talking about, the lures in early season versus mid-season, you know, during late season. Um, and then going back to what you were talking about, finding all them scrapes in that one area. Shed hunting is one of the most overlooked scouting tools i think in the hunting in the hunting world um and the reason i say that is is we go out there and we go shed hunting i don't necessarily go shed hunting i'm a terrible shed hunter i bet every shed sitting in my house i put six miles on my feet to find it but what i've learned over the years is since i'm a terrible shed hunter and i'm going to be out there anyways because it like that's what i want to be doing is shed hunting well since i can't find sheds well, I might as well scout. <laughs> and, and that's when I look around and I start seeing, you know, and I do find the occasional shed, but typically I'm actually looking for the shed, but I'm actually spending more time looking for the sign. Where were them, but where did I find all the, the butt crap during that shed season? I, I see a, a, a tree rub that I've, I've never noticed before. And then I see a bunch of saplings rubbed to heck, like just rubbed all the pieces all over the place. I start looking at them and I'm like, hmm, it's a pretty intense area. Is this bedding? Nope. Yep. This is bedding. You know what? There's a good chance this is where these bucks are spending a lot of their time, at least late season, because I see all the bedding and the crab. And then you start seeing all the rub trees versus you see that big rub tree right at the edge of a field line. And then you, well, that was beans last year. This is where he was coming in and out from his bedding to feed in them beans. So now you can use that and say, holy crap, mature buck comes out, rubs a tree this big, right on the edge of a field line on a heavy trail. What was he doing? He got up out of his bed. He walked through the woods. He rubbed that tree and he went out to the bean field and fed. So to me, them are two different, completely different areas. To me, I look at it like that bedding area tells me where he's at, but I know I can't really get too close to it and hunt it, right? Well, that tree that's out right next to the field line tells me, man, I'll bet he was moving through here a lot feeding. So the next time I have beans standing in that field and I have a mature buck on that property, that might not be a bad place to be sitting and hunting. And, and that's kind of how I look at it. Like, you know, 
even like last year, like I ate tag soup last year. So you know what? To me, I'm like, if I, I, I hate eating tag soup just like any other bow hunter. Like maybe I better up my game. And, and that's what I did. I spent my shed season scouting, trying to learn what did I do wrong. And what I learned from that is, is truly, I believe the buck I was hunting last year, he was 180 something inches. Um, there were two of them. I, I had over 150 sits. Um, one of the things I took from it is bottoms with thermals are extremely hard to hunt whitetails, mature whitetails. Um, I tried. Um, this year, I will not. I will be focusing more on trying to figure out how to not hunt them in the bottoms. And the other thing I learned is I found a shed. I found them saplings I talk about with close to a bedding area. And that gave me a lot of intel. Like I could, like I could say, this isn't just a spot that buck was during the rut. Because during the rut, it's hard to reproduce that, um, that situation. But late season is actually, to me, like we've talked before, early season it's hard to put a pattern on because early season, there's so much things changing. The beans, the hard horny testosterone going up, not being able to handle other bucks that they've been able to handle in the past. Um, other hunters pressure in the area, just acorns falling. There's so much things changing. And then the rut, you obviously aren't going to put a pattern on deer. For Ohio, the best time to put a pattern on deer, if you're going to do it, is January, February. So if you can figure out where he spent his whole time in January and February last year, You'll probably have a good idea where he's going to spend his time come next January and February. Now, me personally, I'd rather kill him before then, but that's what we were talking about earlier. It's that forward thinking. It's it's thinking what plan A, B, C, D, E, F, as far as you can mentally handle to go forward. Yeah, well, all in all, I mean, scrapes are an absolutely great tool to take advantage of, especially, you know, during pre-rut and rut and, and really all through the year. But, you know, always learning and, and we're always looking for for signs out there to give us that that upper hand advantage. And, and scrapes are, are definitely one way to do that. And, and there's lots of different ways that, that you can use them, hunt over them and implement them. Um, we're going to wrap this up. I, I can feel JJ over here. He's shaking. It's like he wants to get out there and get in the woods. But uh guys thanks for tuning in uh if you're watching on youtube make sure you subscribe download the deer study app it's free lots of good stuff lots of hunt breakdowns coming on there dan thanks for joining us again man look forward to dan uh getting home shooting a big buck here maybe next week i hope so i hope so but uh thanks for tuning in good luck out there in the woods take advantage of those scrapes and uh we look forward to seeing your pictures All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman and Big Frig.